Hey, 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 moms and daughters of the world. It's Dr. Nikki and Angie, and we are bringing you another really, really fun episode of Never Have I Ever. So listen to episodes five and six, pull up a pizza couch, get a really good snack, and listen to the podcast and have some great discussions. You guys got this. More joy, more communication with less worry and fighting now. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're talking about episodes five and six of Never Have I Ever. So in this case, you are watching with your teenager or right now you and your teenager are listening to our podcast, or really you can even watch alone. If your teenager has watched the show or knows these characters, Nikki and I are here because we really want to create that conversation. So even if you're listening to the show alone or you're watching the show alone, if you're driving your teenager to school one day or you have some time to talk to them, that's when you can bring up, hey, I'm watching that show, Never Have I Ever. And that character, Ben, seemed like kind of a jerk. And then we got insight into his life, which looked like he had it all. And actually he doesn't, he has kind of a lonely life and seems sort of his arrogant bravado was a little bit fake. Do you know anyone like that in your life? Or do you think there's anyone at school who you think has a perfect life, but maybe has a different life than we are making an assumption about and creating those conversations around these characters that's our idea here. So we're glad you're here and joining us. Nikki, what did you think of episodes five and six? Right. So five was the one where um, Fabiola was, you know, telling her parents first, right? You know, so yeah. I thought that was really interesting where she's sitting with this, you know, family that looks almost too perfect with the great expectations of what her life is going to be like. And she's got a family meeting going and she was going to tell them that she was gay because she only could tell Gears Brosnan, which is a pretty funny name for a robot. And she was going to tell them and just with that hopeful look in their eye and how she knew the disappointment would land, she couldn't. Mm -hmm. And instead she told them that she had switched from AP French to AP Latin, which her mother was still disappointed about, which I found really interesting that she had an idea about what her life was going to turn into and that they were going to go to Nice together. And if she wasn't taking AP French, then she couldn't go to Nice because she probably couldn't communicate as well as her mother envisioned them to. So I'm mm -hmm. almost imagining what life her mother somehow envisioned for Fabiola. But what did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, this was a great episode because we know Fabiola enough to know that she's figuring this out and now she's ready to tell her parents and you just see that struggle of her thinking can I burst my parents bubble she now has accepted and learned this about herself and she's starting to understand herself and I like that the brother is on a computer screen on zoom because this is our world today to have a family meeting. With <laughs> half the people on Zoom. I mean, you and I are on Zoom and we are talking from around the world. So definitely there's a benefit to it. And That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's- And really then you, 
you see her, I mean, she's ready to go. Sorry, I cut you off, Nikki. No, no, you're <laughs> fine. Keep going. She's ready to go. And and she just can't say the words. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the response when she said, I'm changing my big family announcement that I want you all to know is I'm changing from French to Latin. I thought the parents' responses were the responses to the gay um, announcement, right? So one says, this, is, this isn't really the life I pictured for you. And the other parent says, wait, we can accept our daughter for who she is or something along those it's lines. Like, thank so- you for telling us this incredibly sensitive almost secret like that you trust us enough to tell us so so that that should have been the response or could have been the response if she had said she was gay and instead it was for something that is seemingly benign like switching Latin to French so that's really fascinating yeah so I thought that was like a just a little tongue-in-cheek moment that nobody actually cares about speaking French and niece, but the right. the idea that your mom would say, this isn't the life I had pictured for you. I had a plan. I had a vision of what your life was going to look like. And now it's going to be hard for me to re reshuffle what I pictured for you. And, and then we have the other parent relationship. We have Eleanor who I get, again, I like that they kind of break out they represent stereotypes in silly ways, but then they break the mold. So she is um, of Asian descent. And often we see that as like the strict mother and she's kind of an overachiever in school or Asians have been represented as that stereotype. And she is a theater girl and she's doing her own thing. So I like that never have I ever kind of represents different people in not their typical assumed stereotype. Yeah, no, I think that's really, really great. And it was so interesting what she said, what kind of mother would I be if I didn't teach you to follow your dreams? And so that's why I'm leaving and following my own dreams. And then she was gone and Eleanor could accept that because she thought, you know what? I want to do that as well. So my mother is a model of what it is that I want to do in my life. And that's why things were so shattering when she found that that her mother actually was working in a local Mexican restaurant, which Paxton told her about and she didn't believe. So she would have been okay for her mom to leave to really be successful in what her dream was. But the fact that she came back now, the reason why she came back and didn't tell Eleanor, I'm sure was a lot of shame and humiliation. So there's all that disappointment by Eleanor and then probably all that shame and humiliation by her mom. Right. And then, I mean, so these, these parent child relationships are so interesting on every level, right? We have Fabiola who doesn't feel comfortable being her true, most authentic self and breaking her parents bubble of what they're picturing for her then we have Eleanor who we see her as a tiny little girl they do a flashback scene and her mom says I have to go work and um work is very important you know yeah that that follow your dreams sorry about that and then we have um 
Davy, I love her family dynamic too, is her and her mom who is cool and is fun and is trying her best, but also is grounding her and, you know, has her own goals and visions that she's trying to place on Davy that Davy's resistant to. So I just like that there's a wait, wait, what do you what do you mean she's cool and fun? Davy's mother does not seem cool and fun to me. Her father seemed cool and fun and somehow brought the family some levity. And once he died, that was it. Her mom was nose to the grindstone, working hard, making sure that Davy lives the kind of life that she envisions for Davy. Where's her cool and fun? I want to hear you. I know she went off. Oh, okay. So that's funny. I was thinking, I'm thinking like, and so many times on TV, the mom is just this basic one layered character. Either she's like hardworking or she's leave it to beaver. I'm here with the food and supporting you all the time. And um, Davy's mom did that she took the motor scooter out and then she said like, I want this. And I think she dresses cool and looks cool. She doesn't show appear as the dowdy mom, the overworked, the stressed out, messy bun complaining about laundry or complaining about her life. She's kind of um, makes kind of funny comments when they are with the aunties and to the I, I totally think she's Kamala. making sarcastic comments. I mean, she is biting her mom, especially in relation to Davy and what she expects for her. But but you're right. I mean, she's looking good, but I still think she's keeping up a certain kind of appearances. If anything, Davy's mom to me is the one that's probably the most following of the stereotype of a traditional Indian family. So it's really interesting because Eleanor's mom, not in the same exact way, definitely Fabiola's mom different. And then we didn't even go into Ben's mom and dad's parents need a whole separate episode. (laughs) They did. They needed his whole life needed a whole separate episode, but I really appreciated it. I was Mm -hmm. so glad that that episode six was really about Ben. And not only was it about Ben, but he also had his own narrator, which I thought was pretty fantastic. And I don't know who that narrator is. And I think Angie is like absolutely floored that I have no idea about this, this piece of popular culture. So do you want to tell them who who that person is? And if you're a, a parent and I'm sure like the kids listening will be rolling their eyes if you have no idea, but you might know more than me. You might be cooler than me. Okay, so moving into to episode six, it's it's all about Ben. We get to see the backstory on Ben, who again is another character with kind of more layers than we initially expected. And his parents, yeah, his parents' situation may be the most, for sure, the most messed up of all. Um, and Andy Sandberg, instead of John McEnroe, voicing Davy's life we have Andy Sandberg who is a funny comedian who I I think of as from Dick in a Box it's his well, what's <laughs> Dick in a Box you you like laughed at me before because I had no idea yeah. what Dick in a Box was and he I- mentioned hmm I think apparently he's a rapper and I said of course he is don't you know Dick in a Box so that um was a song I mean what's that from maybe like 1999 or something and uh Justin Timberlake was on Saturday Night Live with Andy Sandberg and they 
they also have the Lord of the Rings. They come up with some funny rap songs. So it's a rap song that was actually a bit of a parody and it was on Saturday Night Live. Is that what Dick in a Box is? Yes. Okay, now I have to YouTube Dick in a Box. All of you guys, YouTube Dick in a Box and I'll put some link to it in the show notes so that if you know. But you think they know. Angie thinks I completely am the only one that doesn't know. I don't think the kids know, but I think parents listening. I could be wrong. Maybe people don't know that, but that's... Like there was a sequel... I think it was wildly popular for a while. Right. We'll I'm going to have to be schooled on Dick in the Box. So, and I just seem to like saying it, which you definitely can tell because now I've said it like 20 times. So why do you think, and this is this is the question that I had, why would at Andy Sandberg, I keep wanting to call him Adam Sandler, but why would Andy Sandberg be the one narrating for Ben? Because I think John McEnroe, we just decided was kind of a parallel or a reflection of Davy's character, really hot-headed, very smart, but it, it can, can fly off the handle really easily. What do you think about Andy Sandberg is related to Ben from what you can tell? Uh, when I saw his name in the credits, I was thinking that he was going to play Ben's dad or he, we were going to have a future um, vision of what Ben's grown up adult life would look like. And he would be Andy Sandberg would be kind of what I was picturing for Ben's. Wow. You have a great creative life thinking about that, that Ben is is becoming either Andy Sand. And, and it was amazing with Ben's dad, just in that episode, because you never, you never even saw his dad, which is even, truly. Yeah. He's so out of the picture that he, he's out of the picture. We don't even see what he looks like. So he's clearly super disconnected. So we have only met Ben as Davy's frenemy. He's kind of spoiled, seems to have everything certainly wealthy. He keeps mentioning all the famous clients that his dad works with. Attention um, gathering. Yeah. yeah. And he has some kind of girlfriend who seems very focused on Instagram, very uninterested in who Ben is certainly not caring about him, what he thinks, what he likes. And so their relationship seems absolutely empty. And then we see that his mom and dad's relationship is absolutely empty. He has a housekeeper who sincerely cares about him. But this empty, beautiful home this extreme loneliness. Uh, and again, it's presented in a funny way where he gets catfished because he's in chat rooms online trying to entertain himself with his fandom for Rick and Morty. And then he realizes how sad and uncomfortable and miserable his life is when he can't find even a friend to go with him with amazing tickets to courtside tickets, courtside tickets, courtside tickets right next to Billy Crystal for the game. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find anyone to go with him. But the interesting thing, cause I did write something down about that, that, you know, that, that he was able to be catfished because the loneliness kind of makes him put himself at risk. Like he was willing to take risks in ways without some supervision or, and so when I think about kind of raising teens, it's really not about me telling them what to do because I found that I hadn't told my kids what to do in a very long time, unless they asked me specifically. 
It's just about me being there and being ready just in case they want to sit with me for like even a minute on the couch or whatever it is. I just kind of wait and hang out and try to be a little fly on the wall and see what information I could soak up. And then if they need me or want me, but it's without expectation of them wanting me. So I'm not expecting them to make me a priority on the nights that I'm sitting there. But if they happen to, then I feel like I've hit, I've hit the golden jackpot. I don't know what you think about that, but there's something. See, that's so great, Nikki, because that is not represented, right? We see the parents who are trying to exert control and the parents who want to be maybe overly involved in the kids' decisions. And then we see the parents who are completely removed. I like that it was still under the guise of um, Ben's mom is Angela from from the office so we already know her as kind of an uptight character and she just says I'm going on another retreat to be a better person for you and she said it's mindfulness and lovingness or something and she said obviously that helps me be a better parent to you so I'll be gone for two weeks or whatever it was she she is a a a, a spiritual Yes, something. I was gonna say like a like a spoiled spiritual mom going off right. and, and doing whatever it, she wants to do. The dad says, "I'll take you and your girlfriend to the game and courtside seats and all this." So as if that's a relationship and connection. And then Ben, in reality, doesn't have anyone available. There's no one sitting on the couch that if he wanted to go downstairs and play a video game, they would be there if he wanted to say something. So uh, yeah, I think what you're offering as a parent is certainly much more along the lines of going to be the most supportive and helpful thing in building relationship then. Absolutely. I I really, because I had written a book about it and the idea is, is that you just are kind of there and you don't have to say much. And when you don't say much and when you're not criticizing and when you're not giving lots of directives or direction, then you get a lot of information you can synthesize through that and decide which information it's important to actually act on or not. And then you, you just have a little bit more impact or power or whatever it is. But, um, but yeah, he had nobody there, which really leaves him to kind of go off and, and make whatever choices he makes without even a little sounding board to figure it out or somebody to stay home with. But it was amazing how hopeful he felt about his dad, even going with him to that game he was, it's just, it was only a crumb and that's all he needed to actually feel okay. And I felt like Eleanor had that crumb as well. And then the crumb was even taken away. And I think Mm -hmm. about the way we offer crumbs to people, especially marginalized people and definitely young people at times and, and somehow expect that to be good enough when I think we could be offering a bit more. That's a good point. Well, then I was noticing when he when he's looking forward to going to the game and then first his girlfriend cancels and then when his dad cancels on him the text comes through and this is interesting because this is the new this is our method of communication now we are parents are texting with their kids and we're having conversations that way and the 
and the dad says, hey, you know, go to the game. I hope you have a good time. I'm not going to make it. And the first two texts that Ben types are true. Like his initial response is, can you reschedule? He wants to ask his dad, like prioritize me and not your business meeting. And he deletes that text before he sends it. And then we see him type out another text that says, like, you misspelled my girlfriend's name. You know, you got her name wrong. You don't even know, which is like a true response. Again, this is like his anger. Dad, you don't, you're not paying attention to me. You're missing things. Again, he deletes it and he ends up sending the quote unquote polite text. Like, we'll have a good time, you know, hope to do it again later or whatever. And I thought we should notice what we are typing. The text that we delete maybe our more true initial response. That's our gut response in like, I want to type this to you. And then maybe we delete that and change it to something more polite. Not that we should always send our first text. That's impulse. so interesting that you say that. So why do you think he didn't say what he meant? Like, why did, because Ben is not a polite guy necessarily. So right. I, I'm just thinking that he did that because he wanted, again, to make sure that he can keep even the smallest possibility with his dad and not necessarily estrange him even more. And, and it's interesting what you said, like, should we send that first text or should we not send that first text? And most of the time we probably shouldn't send the first text, but it is good to notice what it is we're thinking first and maybe get the opportunity to work through it. And if we have a chance to talk about where we're upset, where people could actually hear it and be able to handle whatever feelings are coming at them without necessarily becoming defensive or feeling so bad that your kid has to start taking care of you, then yeah. it's- yeah, but I really, I liked what you said about like looking at what those first couple were. And that was definitely more of what he felt and probably more true. And either one of those didn't seem that bad to me either. No, that was nothing terrible, but it was clear. He's just like, has enough time there in typing it out to say, this is my initial reaction and then erase it and go with telling my dad something else that might make him happier or putting my dad's feelings before my own. And then we see it again when he's in the office for his pimple, which again, is just another, it's such a funny way to represent. He's, he's not perfect. I like also that he, he is cool and he's cute. I mean, um, you know, his clothes are cute. I like that. Never have I ever compared to gossip girl represents not just the extreme of like the extreme parties that are totally over the top or some completely perfect looking person who looks perfect all the time, even when she's drunk. And <laughs> we know that she's a mess because her absolutely cool, perfectly fitting outfit is slightly untucked and her hair has a small like fluff in it or <laughs> So I like that he, we can see him not as a super dork, weirdo, unrelatable character. And then he has this pimple. And How did he get the pimple? Shira was like, was she squeezing his blackhead and then it got infected? What happened there? 
there was just a pimple and then yeah she wanted to film it as part of her Instagram story and then it just kept getting worse but it's that like that visible recognition of like my life looks perfect on the outside but isn't and then I liked that at the we again see his truth his emotional truth because he's at the doctor who is Davy's mom at the dermatologist and the first he starts crying when he's thinking really about the loneliness and sadness that he's feeling in his life. He and said that words, after after she said that we eat dinner together every night and he's right. dinner. To, he's to, thinking yeah. about family and he's feeling his sadness. And as he starts crying, the words he says out loud is my life is totally awesome to excuse and it's so funny how we do that right we just say the exact opposite thing like i don't want anyone to see my hurt and how hard things are yeah right i just want to make sure this dermatologist here knows like my life is awesome i'm not crying because of anything related to my family how that impulse to hide it and then the first time he shares his truth I really like this scene when he says finally to Davy's mom my family doesn't have dinner together we don't have a connection then things start to turn around things get better from telling the truth and not in a smooth perfect storybook ending way because we still have to hear Davy complain about him and <laughs> over when over dinner um but but he he felt like even the humiliation and the stress and the bickering and the too spicy dinner it was still a family dinner that he it's worth to. it yeah it was right. worth it at least today was the least lonely he had been in a long time even mm-hmm. amongst the family of his frenemy who I kind of knew they'd become friends at some point. You you can't really do that kind of competition much longer than junior high, maybe a little bit of high school, but not much longer than that. (laughs) Eventually, eventually they're probably going to fall in love, but I don't know. I haven't seen beyond this episode. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I could guess they're kind of a perfect fit for each other, but I like that the very end of episode six is he says, no, seriously, you don't understand. I was catfished by a 50 year old yesterday. And, and she says, well, I've never had sex with Paxton. And both of them like release and reveal that here's my truth. And it's embarrassing. And I thought I had to hide it from everyone. And once they say that it's like, they're, they know each other and their friend friendship or freneminess now we see some connection. Once you can be honest with someone and you're taking away that layer of fake where you feel like everyone has to think you're cool. They're, they're actually pretty sweet. They're, they're, I, I really like their relationship, even in their dislike of each other. They get pissed and they show it to each other and they're still coming back 
it was interesting when Davy's mom said, oh, you're the best thing for Davy. You keep her on her toes. So somehow Ben is really a good thing for Davy's future, even that competition. And I thought that was really interesting that, that her mom really liked the competition. I bet you the mom will not be happy when they're not competing with each other anymore. Maybe Davy won't necessarily have to try as much as she does right now. Yeah, and I think they both kind of acknowledged that in the whole UN setting, even while they were drinking together and had that conversation. And he said, well, you're the, they said it in such a funny way, like, you're the reason I did so well in Chinese. And he said, she, she, it was, um, yeah, that they can see their similarities, that both of them are striving to prove something to themselves or to someone else about by achieving these academic contests that they're trying to to go for and compete in. Right. So I was thinking about that in terms of relationships. Like we almost want to be in relationships with people who push us to be the best versions of ourselves, but not necessarily to beat each other, but rather be true to ourselves and what we love. Yeah, exactly. I think, and, and right. Or are we making bad choices and picking someone who we think we should be more like, or someone who will change us into that version of ourselves that we want to be rather than the, the people that we truly are, which was kind of Davy with Paxton. Mm. If I date Paxton, then, then I will be cool. She doesn't believe now that she is cool. Or maybe she's starting to get the idea now. She more definitely that felt that way amongst the model UN people. There's a chance, yeah, that maybe she could be that girl. That I am popular. Yeah, it, it, I was thinking about this because I had a high school reunion that I didn't end up going to because right now I'm working in Nome, so I couldn't go back. Oh, and no. in my mind, now this is, so I'm 58. So it's a 40 year high school reunion. And in my mind, I wasn't popular. But as I look back and as I put things on and as people are really great to me, I'm thinking maybe I was popular. I was in the school play. I did some really fun things, but in my mind, I wasn't. So I've started to change the story. And I'm not even sure if that story was ever truly accurate or not, especially related to high school. So I think that we get to decide what the story is and we get to change the story if we want to as we go along. But right now in my mind, I was the most popular girl in high school. But back then I definitely did not feel very popular. That's, it's so true. It's so interesting. The way we think about things and how it can change as we grow up, or even I look at pictures and what I thought I looked like, or what I thought my friends and I, or it's all the silliness too, right? Like how I just thought this hairstyle looked really cool to have curled bangs and hairspray or something. And then back and you're like oh maybe that wasn't looking so great um and the same with our experience of thinking that what we were doing was awesome maybe wasn't so awesome or what we were doing was terrible maybe wasn't so terrible I do hear a lot of teenagers talk about how they were bad and I I always think that's interesting because I, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily bad. I think that they're exerting some independence. I think they're trying to figure out who they are. I think that they are 
trying to figure out how they're going to proceed in life. And I, I think that that gets scary for us parents, that's for sure. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad. And we definitely internalize it as being bad as, as we're older and have our own kids. I just hear so many parents. And recently I seem to have a lot of them coming through my office where they felt like, oh, I was a bad teenager. I was like, I, I don't think you were bad. I think, I, I think you, weren't, you weren't deciding to do what the either society or adults wanted you to, but you weren't necessarily bad. And they were perfectly wonderful adults with their families and doing great. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Or And how do we even define, what does a good teenager mean? And what does a bad teenager mean? Like, these are just weird terms that we I know, we so true. So one that caused us you know, as parents struggles or difficulties, I guess we might decide is bad or good or whatever. I'm thinking about Fabiola's mom who probably thinks that she needs to do certain things in order to fit in. And I think when she said, did Alex Gomez get you pregnant? When she asked her what the family meeting was about, I think she might've almost been hopeful about that. Like that, that maybe that would be a good thing because she probably knows that there's something going on and, and what she would like Fabiola's life to look like. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So interesting. All right. Anything else, Angie? I I think we, we pretty much tied these two episodes in a nice bow. I love what you said at the beginning about if you could watch it together. Great. We're putting out a fun book. Everybody will have great talking points, but if not, then see if your kids did watch it and then talk to them about it and bring up a character and say, Hey, what did you think about that particular character? Oh, I remember when blah, blah, what's that like for you? And then really like, listen and see what happens. So it's just a great opportunity to, to get the conversations rolling, to communicate. Yeah, the conversation is the important part, right? That's what we want for all you parents to have a talking point uh, that your kids can relate to and maybe bring up some of these, these ideas. Absolutely. In, in a way that's non-confrontational, that is easygoing and light and definitely fun. We are all about having the fun. So enjoy Never Have I Ever episodes five and six, and we should have a fun book coming out at some point soon. And tell us what you think, like, rate, review, share with everybody you can. I know that this is the future on having the stronger connections and conversations with your teenagers. And it's always good. You will definitely stop whatever future generational trauma you kind of think might be perpetuating here by not talking. Thanks everyone. Bye.